you are enough. You are chosen. You are worthy. You are precious. You are important. And today is your day. Don't forget to start the day waking with the word. Good morning. Welcome to another series of Waking with the Word. Today, we're in part two of the series, No Fear, No Fear. I've already said in part one that we are going to get to know fear a little bit. And the result of knowing fear, having the knowledge of fear, is that we will end up without fear. For what we are going to do is we are going to take the cover off. We're going to turn the light on. You know when you're asleep at night and the monsters come out of the cupboard? When you're an adult, the monsters come out in the form of thoughts and feelings and often fears. Last night I woke up, I went to the toilet. As I came back, all of a sudden into my head came the thought, What will happen when your mum dies? How will you feel on that day? You'll be all on your own on that day. For me, that is a constant thought at dark times in my life. And when I say dark times, I mean in the night time. My father was a lot older than my mum, 25 years older than my mum. And I used to dream when I was little of my dad dying. I was scared to lose my father. He was my friend. He was my teacher. He was my minister. And he was my dad. My dad was not perfect. None of us are perfect. But he was my dad. And he was a godly man. And he taught us to pray. And he gave him and my mum gave us the biggest gem in the whole world, a relationship with the everlasting father who does not die and does not go away. I thank God for my parents passing on to me the reality of knowing God. Because whatever people think of me, whatever people say about me, and even however I behave, my rock, my stability, my absolute assurance, my deep persuasion never changes. And although I fear certain circumstances and wonder what will happen in certain situations at certain times, I know that I have nothing to fear because he will be with me. Because he is the rock that does not break, crack, move, fall. Although the mountains may fall into the sea, the Lord's word will remain forever. And his word is living and active and powerful and full of his spirit. And his spirit is within me. I am so grateful for the Lord. I am so grateful for that treasure, that pearl of greatest price that my parents gave me the fantastic knowledge and opportunity of knowing. Now, that doesn't mean it has to just be our parents that first 
tell us about this wonderful relationship and stability that we can have in life. It just means that for me, I was so blessed to know that there was a heavenly father who greatly loves me from a very young age. My mother has always throughout of my whole lifetime shown a trust, a confidence, a strength because of the Lord that is incredible. I remember once Joyce Meyer spoke about a pastor she knows and how his wife died and he said, Lord, I want to do this right. In other words, he wanted to behave in the way the Lord would want him to behave even in that circumstance because he knew the Lord. And I have experienced my mum go through many, many hardships and I thank God that she did it right. She did it right because she showed me the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the, the trust, the confidence and authority that I don't see in many other people. And I say this to glorify him, but not to glorify her, because it's in him that we live, move and have our being. It's in him that we find all the answers to everything in life. But it is so incredibly, wonderfully precious and amazing when we see that lived out in someone else's life. As we get to know God, he teaches us about ourselves. He uncovers things that we didn't know anything about. And as he uncovers them, it can be very, very painful. And as we begin to realize, oh, that's why I behave that way. I thought it was because of this, but it's because of that. Then we begin to see ourselves as he sees us, which is with the light on. But do you know what the incredible thing is about our God? Is that when he turns on the light and he sees us as we really are, he does not look away. He looks towards us with unfailing love. And he says, I want to point out to you what I see. Because I want you to push that away. You to refuse that. You to cut that out. I want you to be beautiful and have a beautiful life. I want you to do well. I want you to be who I can see you can be. And you have all this baggage. And I just know what you could be like without it. And God is determined to bring us to that point. In the Bible, it says not to be upset when he chastens and disciplines us. It says because he will chasten and discipline every child that comes to him that he loves. And the most incredible thing is that he loves us. So if I come to him, he's going to discipline me because he loves me. 
and he sees me with the lights on. And so why we look at fear, we're going to look at it with the light on. You know, when I came from the bathroom and I had this overwhelming thought, oh, what happens when your mum dies? The light coming on says, number one, she's not dead. Number two, God will be with me. Number three, it's the middle of the night. You're tired. And we never, ever look at anything well when we're tired. I'm not saying that day will not be a sad day. It will be a sad day. But it will also be a fantastic day for I know where she goes and I know what she's taught me. And I know who he is. And I know that he will be with me. Just like he has been with her. We're going to turn the light on. We're going to turn it on on all of our fears. We're going to look at the skeleton of fear and look at where the flesh is hanging on those bones. Because when flesh hangs on bones, it causes us to be able to move, doesn't it? To be alive. And so if you have fears, then you have flesh on those bones. Something is sustaining those fears. And what happens when we have fears, as like I've said, we move. A fear will often cause an action, cause a reaction, cause us to behave in a certain way. And very often, people from the outside can see the behaviour that we can't see. And sometimes they can even see the fear that motivates the behaviour. I've been listening to a trial from a few years ago. I won't name the trial. It's quite a famous one. But it's of a young lady who killed her boyfriend. And he wasn't her boyfriend at this time. He had split up with her. He'd slept with her, although they were of a certain faith that taught that that was not right before marriage. He'd slept with her several times. He'd created a deep attachment with her. Even when he split up with her, he kept phoning her, wanting contact with her. And then he slept with her one more time. And it's on this occasion that she killed him. And she denied it, first of all. And then she said he tried to attack her and she was so frightened that she killed him. But there is no evidence that he actually tried to attack her. Now, we don't know if he did or he didn't, but many people have said, no, she killed him because she wanted him. And if she couldn't have him, no one could have him. This is a crime born, if this is the case, out of fear. She feared losing him. She feared being used, sleeping with him, and then being almost thrown away. Being discarded, not being good enough. And yet he'd taken everything and she'd allowed him to do everything and she'd been everything that he seemed to want. She thought he was fabulous. But he didn't want her. And an anger rose up within her. Because he didn't want her. And yet he'd used her. Fear of abandonment. She'd obviously became very obsessed with this young man. 
But obsession is also born out of a need, and it's a need to be wanted. It's a need to be seen. It's a need to have that thing that we think is is so wonderful. And then it becomes ours. And if it goes, it says something about us. It's leaving us. We are not good enough. The lines get blurred and there's not just me and you. And you make your choices because you're you and I make my choices because I'm me and none of those choices reflect on our worth. The lines get blurred and almost two become one and everybody is part of us and what they do reflects how we feel about ourselves, even when we don't realise it. Fear. Fear is a very sneaky, cunning little creature that will morph itself into any shape to take control of my life. I said that yesterday. Today, I want to explain a little bit more about how fear takes control of our lives. And I've used the previous examples to explain some of that already. Fear causes me to act out against any evidence which shows I am or that reality is that thing that I fear. Let me say that again. Fear often causes me to act out against any evidence which shows that I am or that reality is that which I fear. And I'm going to say that one more time. Fear often causes me to act out against anything or any evidence which shows that I am, or that reality is, that which I fear. In other words, I might fear being abandoned, and someone might break up with me, or say a bad word about me, or not include me in a certain activity, and that, to me, looks like evidence that I'm going to be abandoned. Or I might fear that I'm not as worth as anybody else or that I'm not good enough. And so when they do this certain thing, it's like evidence that the reality is they don't love me. The reality is I am going to be abandoned and then I will act out against that fear, against that evidence. I may shout, I may scream, I may pretend I'm going to kill myself, I may do many things. These are extreme things, but some of us have done these things. Because underneath, there's a fear that has attached itself to a wound. And a wound usually sits on top of a need. And a need usually comes from a human right. Now, we have the Human Rights Act, but... There are spiritual rights that you have because you're a human being as well. And one of those rights is to be loved, to be wanted, to belong, to be secure. That's your right because God made you and you're a human being. Because it's your right and because of the way God designed you, it becomes your need. And it becomes a desire, which is natural and normal. But when that need is not met or is damaged in some way, 
or when the person or the psyche or the spirit feels that they've not had that need met, then there's a wound. And what we know about physical wounds, I'm going to use as an illustration or a metaphor for a spiritual or emotional wound. When I have a cut, a scab grows over the top of it so the inside can heal and the scab will eventually fall off and new skin will be there. But when I have a deep inner wound, a scab will form over the top of that wound, but the wound doesn't always heal because the spiritual and the emotional does not work the same as the physical. This is why people say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And people say that is the most untrue saying they've ever heard, because the truth is that emotional pain lasts a lot longer than physical pain. And often it is so much harder to heal. The scab will form, but the wound will still seethe and break. And such pain is inside the scab. You see, in the spiritual realm, wounds need to be aired to be healed, not covered up. Fear will come along and tell us to cover it. Because if it's covered, then you're protected from other people knowing. And fear will tell you that if other people know, they will cast you out even more. And this is where shame, fear's friend, comes along. And they say, put the scab on top of the wound. Protect yourself. But in reality, you're keeping that wound alive. Adam and Eve felt tremendous shame. They tried to cover that shame with leaves and it didn't work. God had to cover their shame. God had to give them the answer. And some things we do can never be undone. I know that, you know that, Adam and Eve found that out as well. But God came along and after saying, what have you done? Did I not tell you not to do it? He found a way to protect them. He gave them the discipline to keep them in a place where they were not going to be able to cause even more destruction. And then he gave them the promise. And the promise was, Eve, from your seed will come one who will crush the serpent's head. The serpent hurt you, Eve, and hurt Adam. And you listening to that and working with that has damaged you. But together, me and you, me and humanity, me and your seed, we're going to restore you and we're going to finish him. God was fully committed to them even when they had the wound and even when they caused the wound themselves. He was still committed 
to them. Fear will tell you that he is not. Fear will tell you you must cover it up. So that the need is always bleeding, but never met. And now you have a cover on it. This is why Jesus said, confess your sins. This is why God says, come and reason with me. This is why we are to be honest and real. This is why one of the most painful and damaging things that the church has done is taught people we cannot be truthful and we cannot be real and we cannot be ourselves. Because Jesus said, go inside your closet and pray to your heavenly father who sees in secret and your heavenly father who sees in secret will restore you. And he sees all things in secret. He sees the reality of who you are. But you've got to bring that need to him in secret and take the scab off. Fear. Fear will tell you you've got to control the circumstance and the situation, even though you may not see how you're doing it, but we'll talk about that so that the need is not her anymore, so that the truth of how this looks is not the truth, because you've made it not the truth. But you see, the fear of the Lord heals that, because when you fear him, he restores your soul. When I fear him, I get to know who he is. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. When I fear him, I do what he says. I listen to his every word. I look at his character because I can't fear him without knowing him. So I look at how majestic he is, how big he is, how wild he is, how uncontrollable by me he is. And I fear that because I can't control him. Any evidence that comes of what he thinks of me, I can't change. I can't make him be different to what I want or treat me different. But I find that in my not being able to control him and in my looking at his character, I find that he loves me. I find that he cares for me. I find that the love is so incredibly overwhelming and deep and abounding so merciful that that need, that need is met in him. That where I feared abandonment and put a scab over it and tried to shout and scream and make people behave so it looks like I'm validated and when I'm not validated I get upset and I get angry and I get hurt. I find I haven't had to do that with him. I find I couldn't have done that with him. I find that it's up to him, but by nature he loves me, cares for me, and is never going to let me go. And then I find that he will begin to teach me, and he will turn the light on, and show me parts of myself I hadn't seen, ways I was behaving very ugly, and trying to control because of fear. 
and he'll gently and wonderfully show me how fruitless that was because the need where the wound was has actually already been met now by him because of him in him and then I am able to let others be themselves and I am able to not react to those things which once said they were evidence of a fear that I had based on a need that was bleeding because of a right that I didn't feel was given to me. And I find now they're not evidence of that. There is no evidence of that. Because all my needs are met in him. Father, help us to understand these things. And as we understand them, heal us, Lord. Thank you for all that you are. Thank you, Lord, that we can't control you. Thank you, Father, that you choose us. There are truly no words to thank you so much for everything that you do for us and that you are to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll speak to you tomorrow, guys. God bless. If you would like to support our work, you can find details at info at comebacktogod.org.